Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, guys? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. On today's episode, we have two special guests. We have Billy, the Fowl Hunter, and Dennis, Dr. Duck. And you may know them both from their film, uh, Dr. Duck. And anyways, we talk about all the mistakes, all the, the things that can go wrong when you're hunting public land. So without any further ado, let's jump into the podcast. I gotta tell you, this is probably the most beard we've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Look, we're in order here, from shortest to biggest. I don't know, because uh, their beards, I don't know which ones, if they're totally different. One's thicker, one's longer, so I don't know if we had to order those out. I think Billy's might have passed up Dennis. Well, he, I think it's definitely longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he trims his his wife makes him keep keep it pretty, you know. I'm I, I don't have a fashion consultant in my home, so <laughs> So when is the last time that you trimmed yours? Billy? Um <laughs> He has no idea. Ten years ago, thirty years ago. <laughs> I, it was last I trimmed it last year. Uh probably during early summer last year. If you yeah. go back and watch uh the Doctor Duck Video, they're vi- both your beards are about the same size as Elliot's, I think. Because yeah. you guys didn't, you didn't have the huge yeah. beards yet. I used to have, you know, so I had a really super cool boss, and he'd let me grow my beard out for duck season. <laughs> but come the end of January every year, you know, I wouldn't wait. I'd kind of get that look. I'd start getting that look in December, and then January that look would get really heavy. <laughs> and I, you know nobody ever had to say none just by the you know at the end of the season i go back to clean shaving all year long but uh year before last i guess uh i decided you know i'm i'm just gonna i'm just gonna let it roll <laughs> billy so, how old uh, are you i'm curious how old are you uh i'll be 48 this month okay because you said you worked 30 years and i was like i, I would have guessed a little bit younger than 48 but I appreciate that. Oh, man. <laughs> well, he said 30 years. And I was like, surely he's not in his 50s or something. <laughs> I, I started there early. Been there. Uh, been working for that. Worked for that company nonstop. Been there a long time until. Right out of high school? I, yep. Until October last year. What, and what are you doing now? Um, you know, I'm doing some social media stuff for some outdoor oriented companies as well as uh, there's a couple other companies I do some stuff for just kind of freelance digital. My main priority really is just kind of keep that uh, end of the year schedule pretty open, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Goal number one. Well, I envy that for sure. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Me too. So I know what the the title of the video says guys, but we're actually going to do just like a a whole video on tips for growing an awesome beard. So So yeah, do you guys use baking. product in your beards? Let's let's get real. Is there any product going into those? I don't think Billy does. Dennis, use product there. No, I don't. 
I, I don't have time for it. I do, I, you know, I do use the <laughs> shampoo every once in a while. But every once in a while, yeah. <laughs> that's not it. I use, I use the same flea and tick dog shampoo as I put in my puppy. <laughs> that's probably not a bad choice. <laughs> so you guys are missing out if you don't try beard balm, though. I love beard balm. You just get those little like little tiny cans of it and you just take it and like sometimes you kind of get like the wire wiry hairs kind of going every which way and you just kind of smooth it through there and uh right the what waxy sticky wax yeah it's it's like kind of thick waxy stuff but i use the beard oil and that would just kind of get everywhere but um you know the beard oil really works out like you know if you ever get like I guess it's been a long time since you guys have started to grow a beard, but right when you grow it, it gets kind of itchy, right? <laughs> so if you're looking to grow a beard and you can't ever make it past week two, get some of that beard oil, kind of soothe the skin, and then, you know, once you get a longer beard, you kind of get that beard balm and can shape it, and, you know, apparently Dennis doesn't have any problem with that. He pro- How often do you trim it up to keep it in shape? I, I just I just trimmed it up probably uh, four or five days ago. That's the trimmed version? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Billy and Dennis, true honesty here. When Jordan mentioned beard balm, did your opinion of him go down a notch? Oh no! Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I try this. I just feel greasy all the time. I just can't, you know, like he said, the oil and it gets on your shirt, you know. And of course, I might put too much. Oh, he's probably on. taking it and doing this with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I probably put overkill on it. So, but I haven't done anything with my beard in have you ever found chunks of food in it? And if so, how long ago was that meal? Define found. I mean, there's a, there's, <laughs> you know, a huge advantage to saving a snack for later on. <laughs> now, I usually have a deal. I have some places I like to go consistently, and I got to deal with the servers. You know, they, they got a sign for if I got a little food on there. You know. <laughs> <laughs> little signal. I got somebody looking out for me. <laughs> Nice. Well, back back to the beard bomb, Elliot. Not of not all of us are blessed with the amazing genetics that take to grow an awesome beard. So you gotta, you know, do whatever you can to <laughs> to get uh, it. I, well, Billy's got some of that. I think his is almost three toned. Yeah, I, I look more like a raccoon. I don't it's know. like black, gray, and kind of reddish. Did you Thank accidentally you. dip it in something down there low, or is that just natural? Well, you know, I'll be honest. For a while, I I colored it. Cause I've been gray for quite a while, but nobody can really tell. <laughs> and, uh, I just, I don't know. I just got away from, like I said, I don't have a fashion consultant in the home. So I just got to let it, let it roll. I think you know, yours would be kind of colored like mine if it was this length, wouldn't it? Maybe. Yeah. I got Yeah. this dark stuff growing in around here. I don't, all gray. I think it's the bacon grease. <laughs> yeah, just dripping and staining it constantly. <laughs> well, if they ever make another Hobbit video and need some like larger size Hobbits, you guys could make some good uh, <laughs> stunt doubles or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, before we beat this joke into the ground <laughs> and send all our viewers running, um, no, let's go fun. ahead and and uh, jump to uh, the recording of the podcast. What's going on, guys? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host alongside me, Elliot Graybeard from Freelance Duck Hunting. And our guests for today are Billy and Dennis from Dr. Duck 
Team Dr. Duck, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> you guys have heard of them. You guys have seen the Sitka videos. So glad you guys could join join us today. Thanks for joining us. Now, Jordan Elliott, we, we appreciate the opportunity to be here very much. Thanks, y'all. Yeah. Always great to talk with uh, like-minded individuals about um, the great sport of duck hunting. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, go- one of the best things about the podcast is just meeting guys and talking to so many knowledgeable people. That is it's just so much fun. We're yeah. really glad to have you guys on. Now, so, uh, we found that too. You know, we just, we had, uh, with the Instagram live stuff and obviously the engagement that we've had over Instagram and, and now, you know, we've started the podcast thing. And, and just like you said, it's just a result of that conversation that there's just so much knowledge and so many great people with the same passion that they share. It's, it's great to have that conversation. And that's my yeah. point. <laughs> yeah we're gonna have to talk about that at some point in this podcast because i love duck dogs <laughs> um so anyways go ahead and uh, give us a little background about yourselves you know um where you guys got started and all that kind of stuff so i'll let you go first well um so yeah i grew up hunting uh, more deer and squirrel really when i was younger but i, I lost my father at at a fairly early age and kind of had gotten away from hunting and uh not long after high school here early early 20s i uh, was introduced to dennis from another friend and you know the guy was like hey don't didn't you enjoy hunting you ever duck hunt and I said no and i got a buddy trying to get into it and he's needing a partner maybe you'd be interested in going and and uh we ended up going duck hunting and rest is history that was 20 something years ago and and uh we've been duck hunting together ever since i think really the truth is he's run everybody else off and i'm not only <laughs> up ahead, it was, it up all this long <laughs> part in that running people off uh seen a few divorces over the years and and uh are almost divorces so you know it's hard for guys to you know they want to go every day but sometimes they can't get those kitchen passes so they can so it causes a little problem so i've been blessed to have a good wife to allow me to enjoy that so uh, she understands my passion and and heck she's probably the biggest cheerleader about it so i've been very fortunate in that area but i grew up in a small town uh, my dad you know he worked at a factory kelly springfield making tires and i was blessed to live next door to my grandfather so uh to be outdoors with him and growing up with him and my brothers, uh, teaching me the ins and outs. And, and that's how, you know, we, we coon hunted at night back then a lot and, and we squirrel hunted as well. Uh, you know, never was a deer hunter. Uh, had, you know, I got into it for a little bit, but just, just didn't, wasn't a challenge enough for me uh, compared to when I went to that duck hunt the first time. And it was just so many, you know, aspects to it for us. You know, I compare duck hunting to baseball. There's so many elements to the game compared to any other sport, and it just and it makes a challenge for me that I I seek out every time we go. And been doing it for a long time, and, and you know, and still today we learn something just about every time we go. So uh, that's that's how we got started. Now, we, last time we had John, you're a baseball coach, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, we. So how, how'd you guys end up doing? We didn't make the playoffs. We, uh, you know, we, we fell a little short. Um, Coaching. Just put it this way. <laughs> we, we, we had a tough district. Uh, uh, 
you know, you know, maybe so. But just just put it this way: that the, the two teams that went of our district ended up in the semifinals, played each other, and then, uh, of course, the team that won out of our district moved on to the state championship, and and then they lost that game. But it just goes to show you. But we got a good we got a good group of kids coming back next year. We we lost a couple of seniors, uh, but we got a couple of kids that's coming in, and we got uh, some. Uh, Returning players, we're going to be probably even stronger this year, and I think it lit a fire in them. Uh, so they, so they're very motivated to to make reach the playoffs next year. So, do you coach during the summer for? So, I imagine that's school baseball you're coaching for, obviously. Yes, and, then, and you know, of course, my 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 son now he plays select baseball. We just went down to Louisiana. Uh, we'll be back in Louisiana this week at LA Tech or La Tech, and uh, we'll be playing on their campus and. Uh, so we're playing at pretty high level baseball. So, so how how old's your son? He's uh, sixteen. So he was on on your high school baseball team, then I imagine. Yes, sir. Okay, yes, sir. That's great. That's great. Elliot's a big time. Uh... Go ahead. Yeah, baseball before duck hunting. Baseball was my passion. I yeah. played a little college ball and you know the high school mm-hmm. thing. And so mm-hmm. once that dried up, that's when the duck hunting really fired up. But before that, it was you know. Fall, spring, summer—you know—and then the passion was replaced with duck hunting. Well, baseball fits duck hunting really well, but you know, mm-hmm. it's time to baseball season, World Series over. It's time to get into ducks. As soon as yep. duck season's over, it's time for spring training. You know, that's right. Yeah, it's perfect for me. So it does. It's perfect. Yeah, and I haven't played baseball since I was probably like ten. So sorry, guys. <laughs> I played on the the church league slow pitch softball. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's as close as I can get. Hey, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. I bet you, Dennis. You give him. A, you throw a softball to him. I bet you he could hit that thing about five hundred yards. Well, he, better, he better hit it five hundred because he ain't running the first. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think my glory days are done, to be honest with you. <laughs> I sit back and admire these young kids I, I get to be around. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor to be a part of a great program at, at that school and watching these kids on the weekend. And and I'm telling you, it's these kids, it, it just seems like every year here in Texas, I mean, they, they just get better and better every year. It's unbelievable. And I think Texas is probably the biggest pool compared maybe to Florida. Uh, where most of the recruits come out of. So it's unbelievable. I mean, we got kids now that 16 and 17 reaching that 90 mark, 95. It's unbelievable. Oh, wow. Now, doesn't Texas have a real strong junior college, um, a a bunch of really top-notch juniors? I know in Kansas, the junior college baseball is just phenomenal. It's it's equivalent to – it's almost as good as D1, like real low end. Um, Isn't that the same in Texas too? Yeah, we it's very competitive. TJC, uh, I think they just won the national championship again for five years straight, and uh, it, which is a D three. Uh, our UT campus here uh, in Tyler, they, uh, just won, they just won the national championship. Uh, you know, they just got kids. It's just, I mean, they just flood this area uh, because of that. And you know, and a lot of junior college kids now is, you know, it's kind of like a second chance for them. The ones that didn't get quite developed. Uh, to go D1 later, and, uh, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of them get drafted now out of junior college now in this area, so uh, it's it's a breeding ground for baseball, that's for sure. Very cool. 
Awesome. So back to something uh, Billy said earlier. So you guys have been duck hunting together for 27 years. So I'm curious, how many opening days have you missed? <laughs> Zero. Zero. <laughs> that's that's what I thought. But you know, I just that's pretty you know, good. That's not Christmas for us. You just you're not gonna miss Christmas, and so yeah. <laughs> It's not that for us. We're not going to miss this. That's like Christmas. That's the first thing we look forward to. And, you know, we, we plan out two weeks ahead of time. And, and matter of fact, me and Billy, we, 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 we try to schedule the states around us. What's their opening days compared to Texas? If they open up a week early, we're going to be in that state. You know what I mean? That's just the way we are. Then we try to come back home, make sure we make the Texas opener. Last and, week, last year, they staggered it just right for the first oh, yeah. time that I can remember where we were able to catch the – Oklahoma. Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas openers three weeks ago. <laughs> that was nice. Yeah. So do That's your tactics awesome. of where you're going to hunt change on opening day? I know ours, I mean, it's, I, hate open, I hate opening days because of the number of people out there. I love them because it's the first day. I hate them because of the number of people that are out there. And we always kind of look for our most really sit, secret hidden little tiny holes to go to just so we're not crowded is it the same with you guys you guys have some places that are um somewhat isolated regardless of opening day or not you know here in texas it's just it's wide open so you know just like you said the first weekend's crowded i mean compared to the opening weekend to the final weekend here in texas you'll have you could have anywhere from 70 to 80 boats on opening weekend you go to the last weekend you might be the only boat or two or three boats there you know just you know Depends on where you're at, and yeah. and obviously, you know, the weather here, so when it opens here, I mean, it's 80 degrees. Yeah, it's still hot, snakes are out. So, we, you don't have the option of really finding that secluded place holding birds necessarily. I mean, wherever you find the birds at that time of year, you're going to have to hunt it, and, you know, there's a lot of other guys out there working to, on public land to try and find those birds, too, so, you know, the odds are you're going to have some competition. And, you, and usually what I do is when we find them, we, we usually, we you know, now it's getting to where you have to camp out. I mean, in Texas, it's first early bird gets the worm. So first come, first serve. So if you want a spot here in Texas, and there's no hidden spots, if y'all got some good secret spots, that's awesome. But usually in Texas, it's not that way. So if you want a spot, you get there maybe a day or day two early. It's that competitive. Yeah. Oh yeah. You ain't out there Friday morning for yeah, opening day Saturday, huh? You can forget. I can promise you, you show up at midnight the night before, you're late. And yeah, that's yeah. the way it is. I don't mind getting up early, but that the amount of people on opening day I can't stand. So we've kind of gone a little bit opposite you guys. We kind of we try to hunt on the opening day but miss the actual area of the so we're our state split into four zones. So we'll travel to a zone that's already been opening opened on our opening day sometimes just to miss the crowds because everyone from my zone will travel out west um, during October and then November we open up here. So we sometimes try to move out west during that time because everyone's in isolating around here just, just to miss the crowds because there's nothing I can stand less than hunting elbow to elbow with guys. I just, I can't stand it. I get it. And that, that's really smart on your part. I got to admit, we, we kind of suckers for the competition level, I think. I mean, I I want we do we we really kind of look forward to being elbow to elbow with a bunch of guys. You know, sometimes you get your tail whooped. Sometimes you know you you come out all right, but I, you know, the the community when you're back at the boat ramp afterwards, talking about what you saw and how opening day was, and sharing that time with other public hunters. I don't know that that I, you know, yeah. I don't mean to speak for you, but 
but I, I feel like that's kind of part of the game for us. Yeah, we, I, we, I love guys at the boat ramp. But when in the field, I tend to feel a little differently towards them. <laughs> <laughs> at the boat ramp, they're awesome. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody's family at boat ramp. Once you yeah. get boat, everybody's enemies. So that's just the way it is. But, yeah, I enjoy the competition. It's just, uh, you know, you know, when you're working birds and you're getting them down in your decoys and your neighbor's over there trying to do everything he can to get them and he's not, it's just, you know, it's that competition thing. You, you know, here in Texas, you're trying to outdo the next guy that's next to you. So we try to, we try to, you know, be respectful in the same aspect of that too. We don't try to call birds off of them if they're working. And so, we, you know, if they mess up and they start to leave and we hit it and they come to us and we start working them that way and we don't, we don't try to call birds off of each other, but still it's the competition of trying to get them down in your decoys and let your neighbor watch all the action. So it's pretty fun to us. Yeah. My experience on opening days is when it's like that is that there's so much over calling and inappropriate shot selection that getting them in the decoys can can become almost impossible. It becomes pass shooting. Yeah, you know, especially if you're the type of guy that's you know working on mallards and you're and you're trying to get those birds in, and your neighbor down there shoots a fly by tail or wood duck or something like that, and then it flares your group out. It can get pretty frustrating. But you know, it's you know what do you do? I mean, it's just part of it. Uh, but we. You know, we're trying to teach people to keep an eye out for your neighbor. If he is working mallards, hey, let that guy get them in. Let that teal go, you know. And maybe maybe that teal make another circle around later or something, you know. So we're trying to be considerate of our neighbors, and we're trying to get that word out there. And so uh, yeah, I just I just think it would make public land a better place to be. It makes me excited, guys like you, having more and more of a social media presence because – my, I'm of the opinion that there's a big influx of guys in their 20s that didn't have dads and grandpas to show them how to do it. And more of us that are having these conversations about shot selection and not calling periods off other people, hopefully we can improve some things on, on public land. Yeah, no, I think I think we will. Uh, I think I think we're making uh, a few steps at a time. We're doing some seminars that's coming up, I think, when next month. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, we got one tomorrow and then one this month. <laughs> And, you know, it gives us a chance. We're going there. He said he had like 40 or 50 youth hunters in there. So, be in front of those guys and talk about it and get those guys started off in the right foot. I think eventually we'll get there. And, and, uh, and I, you know, we try to teach by example. Uh, you know, even though those guys shot one up, you know, and blew our birds out, when they start working birds, we stay quiet. And last year it did happen. Those guys got it and they, they turned, they respected it and, and they returned the favor. So, I think little examples like that and they continue to grow and talking tomorrow with these guys, I think, I think eventually it'll happen for us. Can you talk a little bit more about the seminars? What are they? Where do you get the clientele for it? Uh, what are you talking about? Well, we're just, uh, so the one we've got one tomorrow and then one next week. We, we've just, with the social media exposure, have come some opportunities for us to, to get back in some different areas. And, uh, there's a new resort, uh, up in the, um, van area uh just a few miles down the road here from where we're at in tyler in east texas uh silver spur resort and you know they put together a summer you know school's just gotten out everybody's looking for stuff for their kids to do so they've started these summer kids camps where they bring in kids they're gonna have game wardens there and the game warden will you know go over gun safety uh i'm, I'm pretty sure during that camp the kids may even get their be able to get their uh, certification 
Hunter's ed- Education deal, and uh, and we just spend a little bit of time talking to the kids about our passion for duck hunting, and that's that just provides a great opportunity, like Dennis said, to, to you know kind of get them started in the right direction. So, will one of your main topics be ethics? Oh yeah, I mean. Obviously, in anything you do in life, respecting your neighbor, loving your neighbor is, is, is a big deal. And, and I think, you know, hunting's no different. Yeah, that's you awesome. Know, the thing too I want to teach is, you know, a lot of these young guys are so worried about getting the limit. You know, that's, that's a big deal around here, trying to get the six birds. And, you know, t- to me, I, I, want to, I want them to really take advantage and try to push themselves to be a better duck hunter, maybe to call in those shy mallards and not taking those extra long shots and not worry about the limit, get better at duck calling and actually starting to read and learn how to work birds. And, and, you know, that's, that's the most important part to me of duck hunting and, and, and having that camaraderie with your friends and, and, you know, like me and Billy having lifelong partnership in it. So, uh, that you know that goes. It almost ways. sounded like we're married, didn't it? it basically, we have a duck season. partnership. During duck season, you're banded. <laughs> so we just want we just want to teach that you know, especially to the guys that don't do it every day. Like you said earlier, that you know, there's some guys only go with the average duck hunter only goes five times. Well, you know, you know, it's hard for those guys. I know they want to pull the trigger and they, they don't go as much, but still, we want to you know kind of teach the word about still want to respect the guy next to you Uh, that's a big part of it because you know guys like you and i think jordan and myself we go out so many times that we don't mind not pulling the trigger as much on each hunt a guy that goes out three to five hunts they're dying to have success because they know their their time's limited and and i think that's a big part of some of the um poor choices that guys make in their shot selection yeah and we're kind of already hitting on uh take those longer shots and you know i've seen more guys they take those longer shots especially around here you spend more time chasing the bird you know it's wounded and you know and more likely they're not going to find it and it's it's a wounded bird they left and not saying they didn't put the effort into finding it it's just sometimes you know ducks can outswim a dog all day long and and it's just you know the recovery is way low when you take longer shots and so teaching young kids to, to get them in you know that 15 20 yard mark and then your 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 rate's going to be successfully higher it's going to make you a better duck hunter than taking that 50 to 60 yard shot absolutely well we're kind of already hitting on this but uh let's just jump into our main topic for today and our main topic is uh you know mistakes people make on public land and um so yeah i guess you know kind of what what we've already been saying but um, the first thing I had was, you know, a lot of people taking improper shots and sky busting and, um, you know, that's just, is no good. Um, it's not good for the birds cause you're going to leave wounded ones off here or there. You're going to educate birds that, um, you know, won't come back. You're not going to be able to kill m- very many from that flock. And then two, uh, you know, public land, a lot of times you're flaring them away from your neighbors or even sh- if you're sky busting, you could sh- be shooting birds that are working into your neighbor's set. Yeah, and, and that's the main thing is when you're taking longer shots, you are taking the advantage away from your neighbors and when they potentially might have some working birds over there. And, and you know, I don't think really people understand the shot blast that how many birds they actually flare off. And, you know, and it's several hundred yards. I mean, it's just not the neighbor next to you. It's probably four or five neighbors down. I mean, any shotgun blast travels a long ways. And, 
and of course when they get to Texas, I mean, as soon as they hear it, I mean, they turn straight up and, and you know, they leave and, and there's nothing you can do to, to work those birds back. They're just lost birds. So, um, long shots to me is, is I just, I, you know, there again, I just think people just need to be more patient so they can get the recovery of the bird. And, and, and I think they'll have a better time because there's nothing better. And Billy, Billy, Billy can testify this. There's nothing better than working birds into your decoys or even close to that. If you don't set them in the water, at least get them 15, 15 to 20 yards. And I think that's very respectful. And I, so, I think, it's, I'm sorry, go ahead. So I guess uh, while we're on this topic, what is your guys' limit? So I usually try to keep it within 40. So I, I was just kind of curious what everybody's limit would be for your shot. 70, 70, oh, yardage? I thought you meant ducks. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yardage, yep. You're shooting 40, huh? Where are you at exactly? <laughs> 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 Am I sky down, busting? Down in Mexico. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, in the decoys, you know, we're not going to set up decoys, you know, more so you, than 40 yards away. Yeah. So, so you never shoot them unless they're feet down. Yeah. Obviously, that's the perfect situation. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not that you don't have one sneak up in. And he's got his feet down and, and y'all are chit-chatting or whatever and he busts you and he tries to get up to get out, you know. Obviously he's still in good range, but we'll we'll take that shot. How about you, Elliot? Um, well, yeah, I I feel like that I've uh, over the past couple of years that my my estimate of distance has been off a little bit where I used to say that, you know, like thirty-five was the max, but I think that I was calling thirty-five forty-five. Um, I, I think absolute limit, like on a third shell is about 45, but, um, I, I don't want to shoot anything past 30. I'm, I'm using an improved cylinder. So I'm sorry, not, not, not improved cylinder, but modified some. And so I don't, I don't want to shoot them past 35. So if I can get them 15 to 30 is absolutely ideal and i think what people have have to, to realize that if you want to shoot ducks consistently at 15 to 20 that means the first time you see them at 35 you don't take that shot and what that means is sometimes you're not going to get a shot at that duck and i think that's what happens guys have a couple of experiences of birds coming through for the first time at 35 to 40 they don't shoot the bird doesn't you know then they can't call them back in and say oh we should have taken that shot we shouldn't taken that shot because they didn't get to shoot. So the next time, what do they do? It whips through at 35, 40, and they, they take the shot. So you have to be willing to accept sometimes that bird, you know, coasts through at 35 to 40. And if you leave, if you don't shoot that, it, you're trying to get that 15-yard shot with feet down because it's, number one, it's just the most fun to see those birds that close where you can see their eyes. There's mm -hmm. something about that that is so much more gratifying than dropping something even stone dead at 40. But I think guys have to be willing to say, well, some, sometimes you're just going to not get the shot if, if you do that. And I just don't think guys work birds enough. But I will, like I said, my third shot sometimes at 40 to 45, but that's absolute limit. And on a case-by-case -case basis, you know, we try everything we can to get them at 10 to 25. And that's not something that, you know, we kind of do in pregame. We had Cookie Crass go jump on from uh cleveland indians on uh our live stream last week from dennis knows and and obviously josh played baseball with him josh was in our first video with us and 
we we both are huge baseball fans. Obviously, with Dennis's uh, coaching and with his high school kid, and then he's got a kid with in the Rockies organization now. But when you talk about baseball, you got the game, but you got all these little games that take place within that game. You know, with the with with the batters and the pitchers and the and the defenses, and obviously the end result is the score of the game. But I think duck hunting is very similar. But there are a lot of people who have a different vision of what that game is supposed to be, you know. So, and for us, for me in particular, working birds is that game. Mm-hmm. You know, when I when I'm going duck hunting, all I'm thinking about is sitting that duck down in the decoys. You know, I'm not I'm not looking through the shot in my head. I'm not I'm I'm looking through working the ducks. I'm making sure you know there are several things that we're gonna do that we make sure of, you know, like with the boat and some other things to make sure we have a successful trip. But, you know, you want to be paying attention to how those birds are working really early. You don't want to get three or four volleys in and realize, you know, you weren't paying attention to just overblowing or whatever was going on, you know? So, but like when you get back to those guys you're talking about who are maybe only hunting three to five times a year, maybe their game is shooting birds. You know, I'm, you know, and if you're looking at just going out there to shoot six birds, you know, it can be a lot different and create a lot different situation for your neighbors or for someone else who's got a different game in mind, you know? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I, I, I've had a frustration issue that I've been working on with other guys in the field. Because as I'm getting older, I'm realizing when guys don't do things the way I think they should do them, it doesn't make them bad guys. It doesn't make them wrong and me right necessarily. Some, sometimes it does. So, I mean, when guys are spraying birds all over the marsh and continue to shoot, that's just wrong. But generally speaking, like you said, they've got a different idea of what the game is than I do. And it doesn't necessarily make them wrong in all instances. And that's something I'm, I'm really trying to grow on in the field um, and mature about a little bit, if I'm being honest. And, and that's the opportunity we have. You talk about those long shots impacting people that are set up next to you. You know, one of my top things on that list that you're talking about is really that space that people are putting in between each other when they hunt. And we had probably the worst scenario I've ever seen happen just last season where a guy literally set up just outside of our decoys. It wasn't a matter of if my shots would reach him, it was, I got to make sure not to shoot that direction or I'm going to shoot somebody. And, you know, there are a lot of situations hunting public where people we believe set up too close. And okay, so maybe they knew there were birds there. We got there first, or maybe the other way around. Maybe we come in afterwards and they got the hole. We know the birds there. We're not going to help ourselves or them if we set up right over their shoulder and try and shoot the same bird. You're going to hurt each other. You know, so the first thing that we always try and do is say, hey, how many of you are there? Y'all come hunt with us. And what a great opportunity that is to kind of, for them to share knowledge with us and vice versa. And then we work together and we've kind of got that whole corner. And that's the approach we took with those guys last season. And he just flat out told us, we ain't hunting with nobody. We're going to sit right here and ain't nothing you can do about it. And we ain't going to bother you. And, you know, it just, it doesn't create the best situation. So, you know, so that just being aware of how much distance is between you and your neighbors, I think is, is a bigger deal than, if you decide to take a longer shot. 
So I've got two follow-up questions for you on that. Number one, how did you guys react to that situation? And number two, when you're setting up, um, when you see someone's in kind of the spot that you want, what is the idea? What is the closest distance, just estimate yards-wise, that you guys will set up to another group? Uh, it's going to be 400 plus for us. Wow, that's great. No, I think I don't. You know, and I should check I, legally. It's what is it, 300 yards? Yeah, I think so. But Here, do you guys actually have a law in the books about that? I believe so. Yeah, we. Yeah, I think you're supposed to be three, 300 feet uh, from your neighbor. Uh, yards. yards and uh, that's crazy uh, <laughs> i didn't know that was the key kansas was talking about passing one and theirs was 200 so i try to use that as as the guide to the closest i ever want to set up is that 200 just out of the fact that well it makes a difference too because if there's trees it feels a lot farther away than if you're open like an open prairie marsh or something like that but kansas was going to set it at 200 so that's kind of what we try to go with but four or five hundred is certainly much much better but what yeah. we try to do is always in our game plan. What we try to do is we have an A, B, and a C game plan. So if we, if we don't get A hole, we got B hole. So we'll run from A to B. So and it might be somewhere. I usually have two or three spots to get. So I have you know. So if we don't get that one spot, we move on to the next spot to keep from having to set up two or three hundred yards. I don't like playing second base uh, to nobody. I, I want to be on the X on the and so if I don't get it then i i've got a plan b or plan c so normally we try not usually we don't have to we don't have to set that far away from somebody usually they have to set that far away from us because like i said i think if you got better plans and you do get beat to that hole and you scouted enough and if you put your time in you should have a, a b and a c plan that you can move to we was uh we was hunting up dave donaldson one time uh northeastern arkansas and uh, the ducks were hitting in the decoys. It was probably two minutes before shooting light. And boat comes down the lane, <laughs> shuts his motor off, and glides right in the middle of the decoy. The older guy and the younger guy. Yeah. And and he goes <laughs> on to, gets up out of his boat, and he just stretches, you know, and he says, oh, I didn't even know y'all was in here. My granddaddy been hunting this hole for years. Then my daddy hunted this hole for years, and we've been hunting this hole. This is our hole. <laughs> you know, and you ask, what do you say? I mean, what do you say to the guy? I just told him, grab a tree, come on. Yeah, exactly I mean, what I told you, him. you just get your boat out of the middle of our decoys <laughs> and just get over here by the tree. But I was telling Dennis on the way when I we left that, that's, that's going to be my move. <laughs> Let me tell you the second best move he made. You know, you pick up decoys at noon because we, we hunt till, till, till they tell us can't hunt no more. At eleven thirty, he said, "Boys, I gotta go." <laughs> so he didn't have to pick up no decoys. <laughs> he had a plan all the way out. He showed up when the decoys were put out, and he left before it was time to pick up the decoys. That old boy and, got it figured out. And he's got it figured out. <laughs> so how, back to the previous uh, experience, how did you guys deal with the uh, uh, the guy that wouldn't move and was and was being a little bit defensive with you guys? I hope I'm hoping you guys jumped out of your boat your boat and whooped on him a little bit. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. <laughs> you whooped him. No, no. everybody's carrying a gun out there. Yeah, you yeah. Know? No, I don't. <laughs> but what'd you guys do? What'd you do? We we were able to slide just a little bit down. We had it we were in really tight timber that day and we were a little concerned it's sliding too far one way or the other because when you find a hole like that in tight timber, I mean you know, you're not gonna pull them through the thick stuff. Uh 
we were able to slide around the other side of the hole. We waited out. We hoped they would slide down. We waited to see where they set up. Uh, and they actually set up in the boat lane, I believe, just outside the hole. Uh, and they faced the other way. We kind of turned our backs their way. And we, with Dennis, was about to say we were very fortunate. We were on the X. We were in the right spot. Birds dropped in our hole. We were able to get out get out of there pretty early it was just he and i hunting that day so you kept your cool and you stayed nice and uh polite and just went about your business that's, that's excellent I mean, if you know if you lose your temper in that situation either side it's not gonna work out either way for you so uh, yeah we did the best that's great i think they did pretty well too to be honest with you we all got our ducks and i think that if it, you know uh if it was a situation where we didn't get our ducks, you know, nothing still would have happened. I mean, but both sides worked together a little bit, so it turned out to be okay. And uh, and so things are like that's going to happen. I think getting mad and upset, is, like I said earlier, it's just it's not it's not good for anybody. I absolutely agree. So while while we're still talking about sky busting, have you guys ever seen a group consistently shooting like sixty to eighty yards on a repetitive basis? Oh, do yeah. you feel like that should be illegal? Yeah, but I don't know how you would manage that. You know, yeah, it'd be uh, hard to enforce. Kind of the, the language, the language in the law would be something like consistent and repeated unethical um, shot selection, or, or I, something like that. I'm gonna argue with him on this. I'm a firm believer that more laws are not the solution. I, I really think that taking time to educate people, uh, you know, and, and you're not going to correct it all, but you're not going to correct it all either with laws. Now you're just going to have people breaking laws, you know, I, I, but I'll let you finish what you were saying. No, I, I, I just don't know. I know, I know if you create laws like that, it's hard to regulate it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and, and then that's the point I was trying to make with, with him is that then you, you, you're creating laws that you can't regulate. And then, and, 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 you know, and then you got that, that law there could be very, I was taking a 50 yard shot and it actually was an 80 yard shot. So a lot of guys just can't judge distance. So, I yeah. mean, they really can't. I mean, they, they think a 30 yard shot is a 50 yard shot. I mean, I got him that can't count ducks. I mean, he tells me there's two or 300 and then I walk out there and there's only 25 or 50. <laughs> I couldn't imagine trusting somebody to, to regulate distance or some of these guys oh that's you know that's a too far of a shot you know or too close or whatever so. how about limiting the number of shells you can bring into the marsh would you be for or against that you know that they, they do do that some in arkansas they do got some wmas out there that you're only allowed to carry 15 shells in there uh that technically cuts down on the sky busting i think some uh not to say that some guys probably don't sneak them in but they do have restrictions on some certain WMAs, and I do think that helps, uh, especially you know when you got eighty something boats in there, and you, you got guys that's trying to tree top them. Uh, I, I, you know, that probably does help. I don't have a problem with that. And I'm I'm not sure if I would be. <clears throat> I don't think I certainly wouldn't be for the the first one. Although I, I like daydreaming about having that law, even though I don't think it would be a good idea because none of us want enforcement officers with spotting scopes watching you know, over us and walking out. So that was too far taking you. But I think that, that you can have a good conversation about the, about the shell number of shells you bring in the marsh. I'm, I would be much more open to that type of 
regulation. I'm not sure. I'm still not sure I'd be for it or what the number would be, but I think that you could certainly have a good conversation about that idea. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, they, they've got those laws in Arkansas on a few WMAs on the, on those restrictions. And like I said, I, I do think it, that probably will help on the tree topping. Uh, so uh, it's something that, you know, I think other states could take a look at and see how much success they've had there on that. Yeah. I, that would be really interesting to hear some of the state officers give reports on their, their feeling or, or their findings on if they feel like that's been successful. Oh, for sure. All right, you want to throw out another uh, another one off your list, Elliot? <laughs> All right, yeah, I got one. Um, making a mess in the marsh. Um, that's no, I've got. I told you guys, I got a top five list. Has now been said. This is my number seven. Is and it should probably be a higher. Is leaving trash in the marsh. In some of our areas in this state, it's gotten so bad that on the state website with the reports, they'll have paragraphs. Pick up after yourself. And when you go in and you see bottles and candy bar wrappers, and it's just such a basic thing hey you see that trash pick it up yeah i can't believe that duck hunters of all people litter <laughs> yeah i mean we're yeah. out there in the marsh in the beauty of nature and you're gonna litter <laughs> and we try to do you know we we try to educate that too as well uh talking to young guys pick up the trash also try to pick up your your shells that you shot and, you know, a good, a good tactic I always use is you don't want to leave your shells laying around because you just gave up your spot. You know, guys go by and they see a bunch of shells laying around. Well, you just gave up your hole, you know. So yep. uh, pick, up your, pick up your shells and shoot, pick up your trash, and it's it's just leave it better than what you found it. And, you know, me and him has been known to pick up trash that other people's left. We just throw it in the boat. We get back to the boat ramp. Guess what? There's a trash can right there. We just put it in that trash can and move on. Where was stab busting on your list? Just curious. Was that number, number one? one? No, that number, number two. One. Over uh, setting up too close is number one. Sky busting is number two. Okay. I think setting up too close is the ultimate sin. Because like you guys, I had a guy opening day one time set up literally outside of the decoys. And I said, you know, you got to move. He's like, well, there's nowhere to set. I said, like, we're going to shoot you. I mean, if we shoot, we're going to shoot you if you sit there. Not that I would have, meaning – he was so close that if we shot at ducks, he was going to get shot. And it was like a hospitalization type of shot. So that's me, number one. And I think the only thing you can do is open your door up, invite that guy, and hopefully he takes your uh, your invite. But if not, I just, you know, like, what do you do? You either have to slide down or you have to relocate yourself to make sure you don't shoot in that direction. Uh, and we've had to do that before. Um, but, you know, uh, some guys just don't get it. I don't think they've had the experience. I don't think they had, like you said earlier, they, a lot of these guys don't have the father or the grandfather who taught them the etiquette for hunting. Uh, it's just a lot of young guys that just don't know any better. And, and, and I just think it's guys like you, us, and everybody uh, that's experienced hunters is to educate those guys. And the only way they're going to get educated is to talk to them and, and, uh, and set examples for them to follow. Yeah, and I think the problem is a lot worse on the smaller marshes. We've got a lot of marshes up here that are just not that big. And guys will walk back in half a mile of these things, and they get in there, and there's nowhere for them to go. I mean, so I think that you sometimes you have to be disciplined to say, there's no place for me. I just have to leave. I got to go back to the truck. And that's the hardest decision to make. But in some of these marshes around here, it's just what you have to do. Setting up 80 yards from someone is not acceptable. 
if, if it's between 80 yards and walking back to your truck, you have to walk back to your truck and just leave. Yeah. And that's or hunt with someone else, like you guys said. Walk around, try to find yeah. someone to hunt with. Yeah, you know, or move to the, you know, we got different parts of the lake here. Or you got to move to a different area. Go try to, you know, maybe somebody, you didn't get your spot that you wanted. And that's why I'm trying to tell guys things. You got to have an A, B, and a C plan. You know, you just can't have that one hole. And, and especially here, if you go out on a Friday and open the days on a Saturday, and expect to get that hole, it's just not going to happen. So you better have a, a B and a C plan, and sometimes a D. I mean, it's just that competitive here. So uh, setting up on a guy that beats you to the hole and sitting right next to him. Um, Did y'all hear that? That was really good. He made it past C. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, those guys, they, they, they put their time in. You know, they scouted too. They might have scouted the same hole, but guess what? They beat you to it. So accept your defeat. And try to find a different location. Yeah. All right, you want to throw one in there, uh, Dennis? Uh, you got a list? Oh, uh, uh, I tell things you, guys do on public land. Get your dog. <laughs> 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 uh, man, I think we covered a lot of it. Uh, I got more if you need. If you're if you're blanking. All right, go I mean, ahead, I, Elliot. That's definitely my number one. I mean, in primary, is the same as your number one, like we mentioned earlier, just that, that space, being aware of the space that you put between you and, and who you're setting up around. You know, I, I think that kind of fixes some of that other stuff. If you want yeah. to take a 70, 80-yard shot down there, fine. <laughs> you know, as long as you ain't shooting it over my spread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, to, to me, I, it's not really a – you know, like you said, everybody duck hunts different. And some people, you know, to me, if I got a neighbor and I know he's working mallards and we've done it several times, I've had guys hunt with us like, hey, don't shoot these teal that's coming in. Those guys over there working mallards and, and man, we'll have a group of teal just laying right in the decoys. And the guys I hunt with say, man, you're crazy. We should have shot. And I'm like, no, they're over there working mallards. Let's see what they do. And we, me and him, we enjoy sometimes just watching, just we'll, we'll place bets. You think they're going to get them in? I don't know. You know, we get enjoyment just watching those guys, see if they can, you know, succeed at it. And, you know, we laugh at some of them because we're, you know, we can actually see them and old face be popping out. No, not going to happen. <laughs> you know, we get just as much enjoyment of that as we do pulling the trigger on a bunch of teal. And, uh, you know, to us, it's, it's not about the kill. Uh, bunch of birds just actually you know challenging yourself to to uh, be a better hunter and we got to the point where we we like shooting mallards and and then of course we get our limited mallards then we'll shoot the off stuff and we're not mallard curious or anything like that it's just that we like that challenge of trying to get those birds in and it's just really fun to us so, that's, so that's, i've got one so you guys use you guys use a duck boat a lot Mo- most of your hunts you would say you launch from a boat ramp Yes, we, we love the water. Now, we do we do go up north sometimes, and we do do the field hunts, but our passion is we like being in the water. We like being in the timber. We like being on the lakes or the sloughs. So uh, 95% of our hunting is on water, and we do use the boats. So what about uh, boat ramp etiquette? Are there things that you see guys do at the boat ramp that are in Texas, do's or don'ts, or you know something that will make other guys really angry they see guys doing when they're launching their boat? Well, I mean – my favorite is getting getting uh getting the boat launched and then popping the hood like something wrong with your truck. 
make sure you give them time to get down there a good bit. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have. I don't know that we run into many problems at a boat ramp. Everybody's usually. Last year we had our best time at the boat ramp. Everybody was saying good morning, and everybody's running to the hole, and you know everybody has to be off the the water by you know this certain area by noon. Uh, or by one, and but you got to be hunt through hunting by noon. So everybody's, you know, usually at the boat ramp about twelve thirty. So everybody stands around, checks on each other, see how they did, compared hunts, and we, you know, we sit around for an hour just sitting around talking with guys, and it's a great time. So uh, we get, a, we love the public land hunters. We love the public land, and that's that's where we got our roots from. And and you know, nothing, nothing against private land hunters because we do hunt occasionally private land every once in a while we get in a bite and we'll take somebody up on it but uh you know i you know it's kind of like baseball again we go back to baseball on public land i can take the public land hunter and he can go kill ducks just about anywhere especially on private land but if you take a guy that's hunting private land uh i don't know if he could be successful on, on public land as much uh you know because it's, it's a different ball game it is. It is. One question on the boat ramp. Have you guys ever seen a guy pull up and do all the boat prepping while have it on the boat ramp and take 15, 20 minutes doing it? That's the one thing that bothers me if I see it is guys that do all their prepping while they're taking up. Like if it's a one boat ramp and guys will sit there and prep their boat for 15 minutes and well, not be near lunch. Well, in Texas, they got a place where you're supposed to prepare that, get that done before you go actually to the boat ramp. So you're not blocking anybody. So if you don't have your boat prepared, like started the plug in the boat, unlocked, everything yeah. ready to go uh, to be dumped, then you, you pull over here and you get all that ready. You don't get to the to the actual boat ramp and un try to un do all that, try to unload. So, um, and there again, here in Texas, it's not that rush because you don't have that uh, four o'clock uh, rush hour. Everybody has to leave at the same time. Texas, you know, it's first come, first serve. You know, you got guys that might have docked up two days ago. So, really, it's not a it's not a mad rush here because it's I think spread that, out. It's spread out so bad, yeah. uh, that you don't have those problems. Absolutely. You know, a lot of times, you know, we'll we'll be at the boat. We may be at the boat ramp. You know, we may go grab dinner and then go back, get the boat ready, back up, and get ready to launch, and just sit there. And first, you know, we may catch a nap first time we see headlights, fired up, drop the boat. And, we gone, you know, yeah. so it just it's spread out more. There's situations in Arkansas, you know, I can remember sitting on a, they, they got one WMA over there where you can, you can't dock out. But once you dock out at two, you can only go to the pole and you got to wait to the pole till 4 a.m. before you can go in the WMA, you know, and, and so you'll get some boats stacked up on that ramp before 2 a.m. But, but like Dennis is saying here, it's first come, first serve, and people know if you want that hole and there's ducks in it, you better get there and get it. Hey, Jordan, can we take a, a quick break and ask some of Once Blind Outdoors is asked about three questions. Um, one All about right, yeah, choke size. Can we hit those real quick? Yep, let's go for it. Uh, choke size you use on public land. I use modified. Me too. What do you guys use? I, I, I'm not, on public land, on open water, I use uh, a full choke. And uh, uh, depends on the wind. If it's high wind, I'll use a, a full. If it's low wind or whatever, I got to modify it. And if I'm in the, the timber, then I go into a proof cylinder because they, they are really so close. But, you know, we get into some of these winds out here, uh, you know, and those steel shot, you know, it, it can perturb that. But 
We like to make sure those birds are dead when we kill them. Yeah. So you, Billy, you use a full choke as well, then? Yes. I don't. But you're not full choke purist. You do, you do vary it depending on the set. Yeah, because I'm gonna change. I'm not gonna shoot a full choke in the timber. I'm gonna cut it back. But I, I tell you, I got too old. I'm not gonna chase ducks anymore. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna dead on the water. Do you bring your chokes with you, and have you ever changed out chokes mid hunt? Yes, I do keep them in the bag. Yeah. That that's kind of what I'm. I'm always teal. I use improved, and as the big uh, big ducks show up, I move to modify. But I always have them with me. And on the days, there's some days that 35 just is you're not going to get them in closer than that for whatever reason. So when we get those days where it's just we just can't get them in closer to that, then we might switch to full. And that in that circumstance, just because we know the majority of our shots are going to be 30 to 35 into 40 instead of you know 10 to 25 yeah and then he's asking uh what kind of boat do you do you guys hunt out of a boat when you hunt on the big water or i'm Billy, sorry say it again, you cut it do out. you guys do you guys hunt from a boat when you hunt the big water never nope. okay we don't really hunt the big water we're just traveling across the big water to get to the shallow parts of the lake and we'll we just we had the boat and try and find a good spot to brush up in. Gotcha. Do you have any methods for brushing that, that you want to share for public land? Now, it's all natural. I mean, a lot of the places you're not allowed to, you know, cut or alter any brush. Uh, so we, we don't, it's not like we don't set up a blind or anything like that. We move around, you know, and even though you saw birds work this way, maybe the wind drifts a little bit out of a different direction. They start working a different way. We're just, you know, we're looking for heavy buck brush. You know, or trees that that we can just hunker down in. So you guys have a lot of shoreline timber and brush that make it pretty easy to. Okay. Well, most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. You don't carry any tarps with you at all. We got a buddy that carries cane with him all the time. Carries um, what? Cane. It's just a tall green. It stays it stays green year round. We just call it sugar cane around here. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, they use it to, to fish with the old cane poles. I don't know. Mm -hmm. if you, uh -huh. Yeah. But anyways, that's what it is. Just old cane poles they used to catfish with off the riverbank. Well, they, it stays green year round. So we got a buddy that carries that around. He'll he'll use that. And a lot of guys use it around this area, especially for teal season. Does he have them tied together in some way, or just has a big mm -hmm. bundle of them, or just cut them out of forty five and they stick right down in the mud. And oh, just, okay. Little, little but you you can't you can't cut the cane out around the lakes. You have to actually cut it somewhere else and actually have to haul it out there. And then J JM is asking, uh, do you guys have any plans for um, filming or any films that are coming out soon? Not soon. We do we do uh, we're real tree. We're working with real tree and. And uh, we got a couple different situations that, that we're really excited about to be working with them on uh, this season. Uh, we won't be dropping anything before the season starts. Well, we're, we're working on a lot of stuff this fall. We're hoping to get a lot of product out, this, this, a lot of filming, and, and uh, we're really excited about it. So uh, working with Realtree, you know, like Billy says, Drake Waterfowl is going to be involved. And, so we got some good stuff that's coming up, a lot of promotional stuff, and so we're excited to be a part of that. And uh, we're glad to be working with Realtree and, and the plans they got for us. I promise you, it's going to be it's going to be exciting. 
Awesome. Do, you, do you guys want to mention um, a couple of the videos that you guys have out and where people might be able to find them? I know my personal favorite is the duck trip just because of the weather factor. I thought that was – the setting of where you guys were doing the storytelling was so cool. But but just the weather. I love hunting in that kind, those kinds of weather. Maybe not quite that extreme, but, man, that, that video was – something else I, I tell you you know honestly that's a fairy tale duck hunting trip for me uh i mean if you if it was hollywood could create that that would be my dream hunt right there and it finally came true for me and to be a part of that was an honor and working with the guys that we worked with to make that happen was uh was a blessing and it seemed like every state that we went to everything just came together just right i mean i'm telling you it was a, it was a storybook uh, and it was an honor and it was so much fun and I talk about it all the time it was one of the best trips of my life where, where can people go to see that video it's actually we just started recently a Dr. Duck YouTube channel and those videos and we're going to start throwing up some smaller clips too and, and we hope to you know they're they're kind of all over the place uh, there wasn't a good strategy going in I don't think uh but we've got the Dr. Duck YouTube channel and any of those videos can be, can be found there. I would love to see you guys put up more. Um, th those highly produced videos are so incredible. And your guys' personalities are so incredible. I think a great addition to those high-end videos would just be kind of behind-the-scenes homemade stuff that you guys are doing, like you're saying, and throwing it up there so people could connect to you guys personally along with then those higher-end um, videos. I, to me, that'd be the perfect com uh, combination because you guys need to make sure that people are getting to know you too because your personalities are are such that people are really going to connect even more if they get to know you guys. Well, I appreciate the kind words for sure, and and I I, I agree with the behind the scenes stuff completely, and that's kind of something that we got away from with those videos. Our goal really was to share the good word about public land hunting. You know, people with Instagram, which is kind of where we gain some, you know, engagement and, and, and people start kind of paying attention to what we were doing on, on our Instagram accounts. But, you know, like everybody talks about with social media, all you're seeing is success shot, success shot, you know, ducks stacked up. You're not really, we try, you know, you'll see pictures on our, our profiles on our, you know, on our channels about you know, scouting and running the boats and doing some other things, but there's so much work that all public land hunters put in to find birds. And, and I agree with you. I think that's, there's a great story to be told and, and uh, we hope to tell more of that story. Well, that's exciting to hear. Awesome. Um, I guess right now is probably a good time to go to the lightning round. So lightning round is quick questions and quick answers. What was that, Billy? That just scares me when you say that. <laughs> you're a little lightning, we kind of run for cover around here. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, both of you guys just answer um, one right after the other. So, what gun do you shoot? Benelli. And what's your dream gun? Benelli. <laughs> Are they both uh, Super Black Eagle 3s? Yes, Twos? sir. 3s? Awesome. Three. And uh, what shot size for ducks? Two. Candlesticks. Three and a half. <laughs> All right. Well, now, what, is, what do you shoot for teal? We'll drop down. We got uh, 
What was heavy shot like in our? We, I thought we got number four for teal. Mm-hmm. Six. Four, I think it's a four and six mix. They've yeah. got a teal blended kind of deal. They do. Yeah. And uh, I guess this probably goes without saying for you guys, but ducks or geese? Uh, you don't think about it. Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> you don't Nothing like those geese. It's just not been. I. I. In fact, the. I enjoy I enjoy hunting speckle bellies. I, I think they work. It's fun to, to try and work specks, but I've I've just never been able to get into any other goose hunting. To be honest with you, you don't like those timber goose hunts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, f- face paint or no face paint? And then you guys said for ammunition, you guys are heavy shot guys. Yes, sir. And let's go with Mojo, Lucky Duck, or Jerk Rig. Jerk Rig. Jerk Rig. Do you guys use <laughs> spinning wing decoys at all? Uh, we we did in the fields. We found them very effective, especially up in Canada and North Dakota. You know, before they get, as Dennis says, before they, you know, graduate with that Harvard degree. When they get down here, I don't. We don't. We don't find them as effective, and we we just don't use them. I got a Harvard degree time I get here. And so I think a lot of them over water is, uh, they do a great job of getting their attention, but they, you know, they get in within a hundred, hundred, hundred mark. They'll, they'll just, I think the water and the flexion of that thing, I think it just flares them out. I don't, I don't know what it is, but over land, it seems to be fine. But over water here in Texas, they just don't work very well. Hmm. Uh, what would be your dream location for a duck hunt? Let's say Dream State. Kind of hmm. broadened up I a little have, bit. I have to go back to Washington. Uh, I enjoyed Idaho and the Snake River as well. Uh, both of those states are great states to hunt. But I, I'm telling you though, I, in Washington, it was just, it was unbelievable. Billy, how about you? I, does it have to be one? <laughs> no, let's you come can. Off. Yeah, let's... You know, Washington. For me, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. The backdrop, the scenery there, it's just marvelous. I mean, it's it's truly like just witnessing the creator. It's it's just outstanding. But the timber, you know, and, and you know, Dennis says it's a lot too. Just different situations for me, I think. You know, the different environments are, are all, they're hunt flooded live oaks in washington that i've that i've found and you know so to be able to do that in arkansas is a blessing for us and in tight backdrops in washington and then you know a lot of the flat in the midwest and the you know the snake in idaho is a remarkable experience you know i i you know a lot of times when i show up to pick dennis up i there are there are days i don't even know where we're going and that's honest truth, you know. I'm I'm just ready to go, you know. So, so I I don't know that I really care as long as I get to get out in the morning. I'm good with it. Awesome. And then the last one, uh, Dennis. Do you have a duck dog? Yes. And I know Dennis. Billy. You got a puppy now. <laughs> I, I do. Yeah, I had taken a break. I I hunted mine. Oh, twelve years. I guess we got out of old drake and then uh dennis is 
been running two dogs, Jake and Timber. Timber's the youngest. She's five, yeah, five she's now. And Jake's Jake's retired now, and it was time to put another one in the mix. I took a little break, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I got a puppy. <laughs> it's like it's like having another kid. Yeah. Awesome. The headache. <laughs> I don't know. Mine's pretty nice right here. <laughs> uh, I've been keep wanting to pet the screen over here. <laughs> I just went on a fishing trip up to Nebraska and I got home and my dog had gotten into the trash three times, stolen food off of the countertop. And let's just say my wife, uh, it was tense (laughs) when I came back home. She's not a dog person or a pet person at all. And when I came home was right when I got home was when my dog stole a big loaf of garlic bread off the countertop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wasn't a very good homecoming let's just say that <laughs> he wasn't happy he got left off that trip huh? yeah. <laughs> my wife's from way but I'm going to take Timber though she's bonded with Timber I think she's closer to Timber than, than I am to be honest with you she's really attached and, you know Timber's coming into the family he's just kind of tucking over you know never had a dog sleep in the bed before her never had one to stay in the house and and Timber just come walk right in and stays in the house. And next thing, she's not going to sleep in the bed. And next thing I do, I get ready to come to bed, and my wife's already got her in bed. So uh, Timber's <laughs> just walk her over, and she's turned into a big dog person now. So. Nice. And now I'm worried about if I'm ever going to get to take her duck hunting this fall. So every fall, it's kind of like, am I gonna, you going to let me take her or not? <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Well, anything you want to add, Elliot? I do, Billy. You meant, you made a comment about um, seeing the creator in nature, in nature, and I'm just curious: um, it, does faith play a role in the two of your lives, and does that play out in duck hunting at all? Uh, it it absolutely uh, is a part of our lives. Um, you know, as far as the duck hunting goes, I just I think duck duck hunting for me. You know, we described early on in the first Dr. Duck video for Dennis, it was a Friday night light kind of deal. And it, it's certain for me, 25 horses like that, when you start getting into some of the heavier populated public areas, it certainly is Friday night lights. But the biggest draw for me, you know, we spend the majority of our time going as far as we can from people once birds get here to find these, these beaver ponds that, you know, may not have been there last year. They're holding birds this year, you know, uh, and, to get a, get away from people and uh, for us to to share that time, just you know, in God's creation, it it you know it's you know it's something. It just provides a great getaway for day to day hustle bustle. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I think everybody would probably say the same thing. It, it it's uh, just it's great alone time. You know, I think people take it for granted every time the sun comes up. That's you know that's a miracle in itself, you know, you're not guaranteed that it's going to come up the next day. So to be actually out there in the duck slew and actually watch the sunrise and watch that be a miracle, and you know, in the brothership that you have, and, and it's one of those things, you know, that you enjoy, you've got to be a part of it. And, and we try to mentor other guys in that direction. And we try every day to do that. So that's our goal. And uh, we love Jesus Christ. And there's no doubt about it. My son goes to the, private school that serves him every day. And I've been blessed that the Lord has made it financially available for me to do that for both of my boys. So very proud of that, that part of my life. 
Well, it's evident the way it plays out and you guys in your hunting, just hearing how you interact with people in the marsh that maybe don't make the best of choices. And it. it's a great, um, you guys are great role models for me. Cause like I said, I'm not real confrontational people in the marsh, but I'd say my attitude towards guys in the marsh that don't do things the way I want them to do needs, needs to be, it's an improvement. I'm, I'm a work in progress, but it's something that I need we to all, just, you hey, know. We all are. I got, I got stories on old boy over here. I mean, <laughs> it's encouraging to me to hear how you guys uh, you, are so laid back about it. You know, yeah. Billy said earlier he likes sitting the ducks down in the decoys, and he's done that a few times, several times, and not even pulled the trigger. And I'm, and he always positioned himself between him and the ducks, so I don't get a shot either. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and I get frustrated at him today. So I'm, I'm a work in progress on that part. <laughs> and I'm like, why didn't you pull the trigger? And and every time it's the same coming. I just got caught up in the moment, you know. And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, it's. You know, so I'm going to work in progress, too, on that end. I, once I see the ducks land decoy, I, I, I still get excited, as I did 27 years ago, trying to do this. So uh, it's 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 so – it's that I'm just that passionate about it. So uh, awesome. I think everybody's got their little perks. Yep. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for the evening. So really appreciate you guys coming on. It's always uh, fun to talk ducks with uh, like-minded guys. Man, it's awesome. And I appreciate y'all having us on. And it's, it was a blessing. And, and hopefully one day uh, maybe we can get to hunt on together or something. That'd be really fun. That would be. This has been one of my most enjoyable. I say this a lot because this podcast <laughs> stuff is so much fun. But I, this has been one of my most enjoyable podcasts talking to you guys. Yeah. I appreciate, appreciate that, that, man. Thank y'all so much for letting us, letting us climb on. Anytime. And y'all timed it perfectly because my computer's got 8% battery left. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, that's all we got for this week. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Um, you can find me on social media everywhere, Duck Gun Chronicles. Elliot at Freelance Duck Hunting. And do you guys want to throw out your social media contacts? Yep. The Foul Hunter uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Dr. Duck. And uh, these guys have a podcast that they've been doing regularly regularly as well. So, you know, if you're uh, looking to fill in the gap between our, our weekly podcast, jump over there and check them out as well. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Appreciate you guys, Jared. Thank you. You've been listening to the Duck Gun Podcast. Thanks as always, guys, for tuning in and, uh, you know, hanging with us for another episode. If you guys could do us a big favor, support the podcast, and give us a rating review on iTunes. It helps us out a ton, and we'd really appreciate it. And if you guys want to join us um, on our channels, you can find me at Duck Gun Chronicles and Elliot at Freelance Duck Hunting. We do these podcasts live stream every week, so check us out. And, um, yeah, that's all we got for this week, guys, and we'll see you next week. Let's go.